This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to the latest Analyzing Anfield podcast from Blood Red and the Liverpool Echo. I'm your guest host, Matt Addison. There's no Dave Hughes this week, but Josh Williams is alongside me as usual. We'll be having a look back at Atletico Madrid very shortly and then having a bit of a preview of the weekend's game with Manchester United at Old Trafford. Let's start though at the Wanda Metropolitano where Liverpool won 3-2 against an angry Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid. I'll start just in terms of some general thoughts on the game, Josh. Were you surprised at all at how Atletico approached the game? I think they were probably a lot more adventurous than probably most people might have thought that they would be. No, well, I did flag before the game um, that they, they seem to have not stumbled upon, but they, they seem to have moved towards a, dif- a different system this season. Now, a Diego Simeone team will always be the same, really. It'll always have the same kind of identity, same kind of playing style. But I did flag last week with Dave that he has got he has built a squad to the extent now that despite representing such a playing style, all the individuals in the team, well, most of them at least, are really actually create, very creative. And the, the, lots of them have got lots of flair about them. Um, individual quality, good on a dribble and things like that. It's a back three system that he stumbled across. But if you look at the, some of the midfielders and the forwards, like Joe Felix, Antoine Griezmann, Thomas Lamar, Rodrigo De Paul, Yannick Carrasco, you know, Coke, I suppose you could throw in there. Kieran Trippier, we know, is, is fairly decent, p- fairly progressive on the ball. So he's got himself in a position now where I think Dave summed it up fairly well last week. He said it's the structure, really, that provides the defensive stability. And then going forward, just to an extent, the outstanding ability of, of the individuals does a lot of the attacking for them. Um, so I did, I did expect Liverpool to have a bit of a, a tricky game when it comes to nullifying counter-attacks. And, um, we did see that, although I didn't expect, I certainly didn't expect a 3-2. No, we'll, we'll come on to some more of, of those kind of topics. We'll touch on Fabinho, some of the more controversial topics and, and discussion points as well to come. But we'll start with a, a fairly easy one. Mohamed Salah, again crucial for Liverpool. I actually thought Atletico did pretty well to contain him in the main, but he still comes away with two goals and pretty much a, a match-winning performance again for Liverpool. Yeah, well, it is very fitting with the theme at the minute. Sometimes when you've... Uh, Klopp mentions a lot, the, the momentum. He uses the word momentum quite a lot, I think. And, you know, I suppose from a data perspective, from an analytics perspective, you could argue, does momentum even exist? Is it even a thing? But I do think that when it comes to players like this and when it comes to form, th- certain things like that, I do think sometimes you just you just get in the flow, really. And I think Sally, although he was quieter than usual, I would say, it, it is a, a, a bit of a case of evidently touches turns to gold at the minute. And obviously, at the very start, he did look sharp. I thought it was a bit of a mismatch, him facing Carrasco, considering Carrasco was usually a forward. Um. And obviously the shot, a little bit of deflection, I think there was in there. But um, he finds the back of the net and then obviously the penalty. He's getting, um, should we say, intimidated by Jan Oblak, one of the Wales' best keepers. Um, Fully enough, I actually had a look during the week at Oblak's numbers. Obviously we flag Alisson's numbers all the time when it comes to saving and things like that. And Oblak's one of the few who, over the past few years, 
has overperformed to more than Alisson. So I think Alisson, since 2017, um, which includes his, his last season at Roma, I think Alisson's overperformed by about 23 goals, which is quite ridiculous. He's saved about 23 goals more than the average keeper would have. Not many can match that, but Jan Oblak, over the same period, has saved 32.9 goals more than expected, which I think he's benefited maybe from bodies getting in front of shots and things like that. That has to go. But I suppose it captures his level as a goalkeeper. Um, but then if you look at Salah, you know, he sends him the wrong way and again, just fits with the theme of, of everything going right for him at the moment. We'll come on to the rest of, of the Liverpool forward line in a second. But just whilst you, you mentioned Alisson there, I thought it was a match-winning performance from him as well. A couple of really good saves. And it's, again, a, another example. It kind of reminded me a little bit of the save against Napoli almost. In, he, he kind of makes things look a lot easier than what they are, just purely from the positioning that he puts himself in. He makes goalkeeping look a lot easier than what it is. And, and maybe he doesn't get the credit for that because of that. No, he is honestly such a massive player for Liverpool, Alisson Becker. He, um, you know, some of the shots he faces, he will save. And, and a lot of the arguments sometimes is, well, it's, it's just hit him. But a lot of the time, if it just hits him, that's because his, his positioning is so good that he's put himself in a position where that's that's been the case, that's happened. So as a goalkeeper, he is outstanding. And when it comes to 1v1s, specifically big 1v1s over the years, I can think of plenty. Um, I've called one last season. Or maybe the season before, Stamford Bridge. I think he, he he did two in the same game, I think. can't remember who he was against. Um, obviously, you mentioned the, the Napoli one. and He just does it a lot in the big games. And If you look at what we tend to look at in, in the numbers, Liverpool's performances and stuff, we do look at performances as the reason behind why you might win a game. You know, Hopefully, if you get the performance right, you get the results. If you don't get the performance right, you more often than not lose. But I think with Liverpool, when you've got a, a keeper as good as Alisson in Becker, Alisson in Becker, when you've got a keeper as good as Alisson in goal, <laughs> um, he can just provide just an additional bit of compensation if your performance isn't that perfect. If your performance is lacking a little bit, you're a little bit more leaky than usual. He's just that good individually that he can just provide that additional safety net on top of the performance that Liverpool usually deliver. And, this is why it's so hard to defeat Liverpool generally, because the performance is always so good. And even when it's slightly not, Liverpool have got such clinical players at one end of the field and such difference-making players on the defensive side as well that it's just really hard to come away from Liverpool with, with three points. And I think yesterday you mentioned there, Salah comes away with a top performance, but I do think... The, the man of the match for me was, was probably Alisson. We'll come on to the defence and a, a couple of question marks over that shortly. But just before we do that, I wanted to sort of speak about the rest of, of the Liverpool forward line as well, because I think it's really interesting that maybe Sadio Mane is not being at his best for, for a little while. Roberto Firmino, I thought, did OK, but was maybe not absolutely spectacular against Atletico. Diogo Jota comes on and doesn't do it a huge amount in an attacking sense, doesn't do anything bad by any means, but does OK. And all that being the case, Liverpool still score three goals. I think it's an average of, of three goals in every away game so far this season. They're doing so well in that regard. It, it's just interesting, I think, that even without playing perfectly, even without Mane being at his best, obviously Salah very much is. It, it's not a perfect front three. It's not a perfect trio. 
but they're still scoring three goals and three goals at the Wanda Metropolitano against a team as difficult to score three goals against as Atletico Madrid. Yeah, well, I actually checked yesterday. Liverpool have, 12, have played 12 matches so far this season in all competitions. And we've scored at least three in nine of them. You know, that, that that's some go on that. And when, when you're scoring three goals in games, you, you're probably going to be winning most weeks. I mean, especially given Liverpool's defenders, the quality of Liverpool's defenders. We've just been mentioning Alisson there. You should be winning most weeks, even if you're scoring two, really. Um, Chelsea are the only team to keep Liverpool from scoring more than more than once in a match so far this season. Um, and if you just look at Liverpool's approach, I think it is just kind of a culmination of of working on the Jurgen Klopp for six years now. Um, you know, Liverpool have got threats absolutely everywhere. If you if you if you look at sometimes, like say for example Manchester United this weekend, Liverpool could, if they wanted to, funnel all of the ball towards Wan-Bissaka if they wanted to. So they could they could set up defensively against Manchester United in a way that presents Wan-Bissaka as the free man. And you would do that in some games, knowing that Wan-Bissaka is not going to hurt you. If you look at Liverpool, there's kind of no player really where you can do that to. You think of Van Dijk, the ball's over the top, the diagonal passes. You think of Matip, his ability to carry the ball out, his willingness to dribble, despite being a centre-back. Trent speaks for himself, Robertson speaks for himself. Fabinho has assisted plenty of goals from deep in past few seasons, scores a few from deep as well. Um, Liverpool's number eight, obviously, we know, are very well-rounded. And then the front three. So it, it is a case of Liverpool, just after six years on the clock, just being so good in attack and having so many different ways of scoring, set pieces, crosses, through balls, balls over the top, penalty, you know, tricky dribblers in the box to win penalties and free kicks. There's evidence it's a full, full armoury, really, and it bodes well for the rest of the season, actually, because from, I think I remember reading a, few, a while back, generally there's a bit of a, like a study associated with football and, and goal scoring that generally what every goal equals a point over the course of a season. Um, it's it's not obviously absolutely perfect, but it is generally how it works. Um, I'll have a look at last season just to prove my point. Yeah, so last season Liverpool scored 68 goals, finished on 69 points. Uh, Manchester United scored 73 goals, finished on 74 points. Uh, Manchester City scored 83 goals, finished on 86 points. Leicester City scored 68 goals, finished on 66 points. So generally, that is how it works. So Liverpool have got the best attack in the league, which it looks like at the minute, by some distance, at least when it comes to putting the ball in the actual net. Uh, it bodes well for, for winning the title, to be honest. At the other end of the pitch, maybe not quite as perfect as what we might like it to be in terms of, of the defending at times. There was a couple of bits where they tried to, to play offside and it didn't quite work. But I'm interested to, to sort of get your take on that. I know Spanish publication Marker, they gave Virgil van Dijk a, a rating of zero out of five, I think it is, for, for his performance, which I thought was a bit bizarre, slight exaggeration of, of how poor he was. I thought he did okay, generally speaking. But is it one of those situations where Liverpool, the way that they defend, if it's perfect, it's perfect. And if it's not quite perfect, you maybe get one or two big chances. Yeah, I think it, you know it's a very risky defensive game that Liverpool play. 
it's it's high up the field, it's pressing. It, it only works if the midfield and the defence and the forward line are all coordinated as one entity almost. Sometimes if there's a, if there's if they're a little bit off basically, it can result in a bit of a nightmare. You know, we saw that last season against Aston Villa, you know, the the seven two. Liverpool had Van Dyke on the pitch that game, had Gomez, I think Fabinho played. Um but it was just one of them that Liverpool just Liverpool lacked something. And whereas in the past, when you if you have an off day, you might concede three. In the modern game, when you're playing such a risky game, if it goes wrong, you're gonna concede even more than that. And obviously Liverpool only conceded two against Atletico. But just generally it it was a bit of a, a bit of a messy performance, a bit of a shaky performance, maybe let's say the kind of performance you would probably see if you didn't have that much faith in your centre backs or if you didn't have that much faith in your goalkeeper, but obviously Liverpool do. So yeah, it was a bit of a strange one, but you have to give a bit of you have to put a bit of the emphasis on, on Atletico's players. You know, they've got as I said, they've got a really defensive system but really creative talented individuals there who can cause you problems um but yeah it wasn't the best from liverpool on the defensive side and so far this season to be honest i think the defense has a lot more to do than the the attack when it comes to getting to to title winning levels let's say maybe yeah it was a little bit similar to the brentford game and, and certainly the first half against manchester city at times we'll come on to the midfield and the midfielders who did play very shortly, but I wanted to ask you as well about Fabinho, a player who didn't play. The reason for that, I think, is that he hadn't trained with his teammates prior to the game. Obviously, the short turnaround from Watford, the fact that he's come back and had to, to quarantine in Spain. But how important is that, do you think, for these games to be in training with your teammates, to know the game plan inside out? I mean, he's played 130 times for Liverpool before last night. Can the game plan for Atletico Madrid be that much different to the other 130 games he's played? It's a good point. But I, I, I do wonder, you know, when it comes to specifically games like this away from home, when you, you know exactly what you're going to face. Liverpool will have known the type of opponents Atletico are. They will have known the, the favoured system they were going to go for and things like that. I think maybe the only surprise will have been that Suarez didn't play. But other than that, I think Liverpool will have known exactly what they were up against basically and when that's the case in such a tricky game away from home and things sometimes there is just really specific things you want to work on or really specific things you want to cater against and, and stuff like that and, um obviously it's difficult to know what goes into these post-match meetings but based on the past few seasons under Klopp I think Liverpool do, do really really well when it comes to analyzing their opponent's weaknesses and, and targeting them and things like that so I'm not. I'm not exactly sure what it would have been. Looking at the game, I, I couldn't see anything specific. At least in the midfield department, that Fabinho might have not picked up on if he had missed a meeting. I couldn't see anything specific that Henderson, Milner, Casey were doing in the in the first half that Fabinho maybe wouldn't have, have been aware of or whatever. So, yeah, it's a good point, but you know, it's one of them. You just got to kind of trust in Jurgen Klopp a little bit, and uh, on the back of the Watford performance. I can see why he maybe has just had so much faith in that midfield three and stuck with them, really, even though, obviously, the performances were very different. 
Yeah, let's let's get on to those performances. We'll, we'll start with Jordan Henderson, actually. Obviously, he played the deepest role in that midfield in place of Fabinho. Did pretty well against a, a pretty poor Watford team at the weekend, but maybe struggled a little bit more against Atletico in that role. We know it's not his preferred role. He'd rather be further up the pitch, but it's probably not the first time this season that we've maybe been slightly underwhelmed by the sort of performance that he's put in. Not suggesting at all that we should be worried about him or, or anything like that. We know the quality he's got, but is it fair to say he's, he's maybe not had a perfect start to the season? Yeah, I think he's been a bit up and down. It's probably the best way of putting it. Um, there was a game a few weeks ago I flagged on Analyze now. I feel I thought he was imperious almost. I think he came in as the six. I think it was only against Burnley at Anfield. But I do remember flagging the performance as, you know, just a really experienced um just a, a governing display maybe in the centre of the park. But I do think that generally looking at his performance as a whole throughout the season, he has been a bit more up and down than usual, a little bit maybe inconsistent you could label. So I think whereas on a normal season, on a normal period, you would maybe expect roughly a seven out of ten every week with Henderson. I think this season he's posted one or two fives. I think the Bernie game would be it would have been a nine. So just a little bit of that, just a little bit of, you know, the up and down type stuff. And I'm not exactly sure why that is. He was obviously last to Liverpool's pre-season camp, I think, uh, on the back of England getting to the final of the Euros. He he's playing rotating a little bit between two different positions. Sometimes he's playing a six, sometimes he's playing as an eight. But again, that's something that he should be pretty familiar with now after a few years. So I'm not sure that'll be the issue. Um, I, Dave flagged it last week. I think there's there's a bit of um, so, there's kind of new elements a little bit to the right side of number eight role this season, specifically on the back of Harvey Elliott and what he was doing earlier in the campaign. Liverpool seemed to be linking more with triangles, basically on the right side of the pitch with Sen coming inwards, Salah and the right side of number eight just kind of playing with patterns, basically. Um, and I think maybe you could argue that's not really Henderson's game, playing football in tight spaces, um, cute little possession uh, sequences and passes around the corner and stuff like that. I don't really think that's his game. And There was a moment actually in the Atletico game in the first half on the ball. I think a, a pass was played into him and I think he played like a... I think he, let it, he either let it run through his legs or he did like a, a, a Cruyff turn type pass. Um, and it didn't come off, and they, we conceded a count on the back of it. And I just remember thinking, that's 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 never been Henderson's game. I'm not really sure why he's trying that or or what. But it's a number of those factors I think that I've just mentioned coming into it really that I just making his performances go a little bit more up and down than usual, maybe. Yeah, nothing to worry about straight away, but hopefully you can turn that around in the next few weeks. Maybe slightly more of a worry might be Naby Keita. Bit of a mixed performance again from him. I thought he was really, really good. First 15, 20 minutes, scores a brilliant goal, but then he's probably one of the, the chief people at fault for the two Atletico Madrid goals and is then taken off at half-time. It's almost a bit of one game showing his Liverpool career in a nutshell almost. Very inconsistent, doesn't complete the 90 minutes, doesn't really do anything horrendously wrong, but just you, you, you just want a normal game from him at this point. Yeah, it's he's a, he's a weird one. I must be honest, he's a weird one to nail. 
I, I, I don't think I'd label them as inconsistent personally. I don't think I'd, that's the word I'd use for him. I think he's, but I think he is prone to having the odd game where he seems to be a bit lost and he seems to be a bit just all over the place a little bit. And in those games, Klopp seems particularly concerned on the touchline. I, I, I go back to the Real Madrid game. I remember he was he was barking orders at him in that game and Keita was kind of looking back at the benches to say, what what do you mean? What do you want me to do type thing? Um, and I think maybe on the back of about a few years working with Liverpool now, I think Klopp looks at his midfield department and I just think generally he, he has a lot more trust in certain other players like Wijnaldum. He obviously trusted a lot. He obviously trusts Jordan Henderson, Fabinho. Milner is a you know a lieutenant who's been around the game for decades now. Um, even though he's not maybe as as much there performance wise anymore. But I think with Keita just on the back of some of these odd performances, there's just an element there of I think Klopp just feels like he maybe has to protect them a bit more or take him off the final line when things aren't going right or something like that. But he is a difficult player to nail because some of the criticism on the back of the game, he is sometimes described as as a defensive liability and things like that. I think you have to be careful with that one because it really does depend what you mean by that. Because he... I, I, I agree to an extent, but let me just provide an example of what I mean of why he's, maybe, why he's not a defensive liability. So when it comes to pressing, um, which is obviously a very Liverpool thing, so far this season, only two players are averaging more pressures on a pair 90 basis than Keita. Harvey Elliott, funny enough, and Curtis Jones. Nobody else is pressing more often than Keita. So that's obviously what we would deem as a, as a good thing. Um, and then when you look at his tackles as well, I, I don't, specifically like these types of numbers I'll be honest but if you look at tackles he he's top of Liverpool on a pay and empty basis wins about 4.2 uh, tackles about two, 4.2 players pay and empty. Um not so great when it comes to interceptions but on the defensive side numbers wise at least he does more than Wijnaldum does um, but I think the difference is one album you, you could just trust a bit more to be in the right position. Um that sort of stuff. It's it's a weird one. What are your thoughts on it? I just think he's he's a strange, strange case, isn't he? He's he's one of those players that you you're desperate for him to do well because if he could replicate that 20 minutes that he had at the start of the game across the course of a 90 minutes, I think you would have a perfect Jurgen Klopp midfielder. I think he was really good on the ball. Like you say, he's got the pressing, he's got the ability to do all of, of the things that Klopp wants him to do, but he's just not been able to to tie that into to one performance and, and one game where you think that's exactly it. And part of that is, is injuries. Obviously, part of that over the last few seasons has been an inconsistency in that regard, but it's it's not really the case at the moment. I think he played three games in six days during the international break, has come through that and has then played a couple of games now this week. I think the interesting thing is is what Jurgen Klopp does with him at the weekend. I mean, we'll come on to, to Manchester United very shortly. Liverpool don't have loads and loads of midfield options. What do you think about playing him again at, at the weekend? Do you think, obviously, he, he obviously wasn't doing what Jurgen Klopp wanted him to do on, on Tuesday, but 
for me, I'd still look at him and think, well, there's a good chance that he starts at Old Trafford for me. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I think a lot of it would depend on, you know, Milner's recovery at the age of 35, is he maybe? Uh, a lot of it would depend on whether Curtis Jones is fit or not. I think he's back and saying, right and saying. Um, but when it comes to when it comes to Keita, it it is a difficult one, and I think he's just generally, tactically, I think there's been a bit of a question of how to use him since he came to England, and I think he's a bit similar in to to Ndombele, I think. Um, Ndombele obviously came to England. In fact, no, we'll go back. Uh, Ndombele in France was part of a two-man double pivot um, in the midfield. Funny enough, like Keita was in Leipzig. Um, and the pair of them showed up in their domestic leagues in Germany and France just because of their their ability to carry the ball, to break lines, uh, unpredictability. They were also able to offer a fair bit of defensive contribution, specifically in, in for Keita at least. Um, but they just take a lot of risks or they usually... They, usually take a lot of risks on the ball compared to the average central midfielder in the Premier League. The issue is when he comes to England and they try and do that, if they lose the ball, the counter-attack is so good in England that it gets to a point where if they do it a few times, you start questioning whether they whether they should be deployed, where they're getting deployed, and you start thinking after the, I'll have to use them higher up. And Dombele this season has been used as a number 10 probably on the back of that, by Nuno. Um, and Keita obviously doesn't have to get moved up that high because he's already part of a midfield three rather than a midfield two. But when it comes to Keita's general game, it's there's a bit of a question mark there as to how is best to use him at times. And this this defensive performance where he got obviously done twice for, for both of the goals, um, you know, it, it, it can happen. And as I said, against Atletico Madrid, who are packed full of really good individual dribblers, specifically in terms of who Keita was directly up against. Keita was directly up against Rosio De Paul and um, Thomas Lamar as as Simeone's two number eights. They are they're really attacking players to be playing in the midfield, and they're really good at carrying the ball, really good dribblers. And I think Keita gets done for the second goal by Griezmann, who is obviously a, a very talented forward. And Keita's played about, is it, is it five games in the past 10 days or something like that? Something mad like that. It's obviously not something that, like but that, yeah. yeah, it's something quite crazy considering what he played for Guinea and, and things. So, yeah, I don't think we have to get too carried away with it. But I do think that there's, there's something in Klopp removing him a half-time, Klopp removing him a half-time against Real Madrid. Um and I'm pretty sure there's been another game where he's been removed early as well. I just think there's something about Keita where I don't I don't know when, when it goes wrong. It's it's difficult to to have confidence that he'll fix it. Almost I think there's a that sort of thing there when it, in comparison to the likes of Milner and Henderson and, and Wijnaldum. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. It's almost a little bit in in like the what we were saying before about the defence, where if if you get it spot on, it's perfect. But if you're slightly off it, 
you look like you're miles off it. And I think there's there's a bit of that in terms of, of Cater. But I mean, you, you mentioned James Milner there. What what did you make of, of his performance? Because I think uh, we said it before we started recording it, it could quite easily have, have been him that came off as well. Yeah, comfortably. That, that's my perception on it. I think although Cater got done for both goals and he's unfortunate that both the times he got done, Athletic Comedy found a net. But I didn't think Milner was, was equally... Uh, problematic really in the middle of the park. I don't think Liverpool had much of a foothold in the game. I think they lacked control. And I think specifically, if you look at Cater and some of the injuries he's picked up over the years and you look at the fact that Milner's 35 now, I think specifically Liverpool's recovery pace wasn't great in the midfield during the game. So anytime he did get beat in 1v1 dribbles and stuff, just getting back seemed to be hard for them, I thought. And obviously, if you factor in that Milner played a few days earlier, He's 35. Cater played a few days earlier. He's played loads of games in a few in a few in a short period now, and he's suffered from a few injuries. You know, you, you just generally associate Klopp's midfield, or I do at least, with with legs, industry, you know, vigor, all that sort of stuff, and mobility as as well as there's a massive one in there. And maybe Liverpool didn't have too much of that, and specifically when it comes to Milner. Yeah, I think it was, uh, on, on reflection, possibly a bit of a risk to play him so soon after he played, I think it was 90 minutes against Wofford. Um, but just last, lastly on Keita, actually, I think, although he's not too much of an issue, I would personally, if I was in charge, I'd be more inclined to play him against the likes of Wofford rather than Atletico uh, Madrid, around uh, Madrid, those types of sides. Not because he can't be trusted or not because he's not good enough or anything like that. Just because, you know, if things start to go wrong in those games, it can go quite, it can go badly wrong, really, in those games because just because of the quality of the opposition. Whereas if you, get, if you start against Watford, there's only a certain point you can get to where the, what the, what will punish you. And yeah, it's it's one for Klopp to consider, but as I said, I don't think we should get too carried away. It, it, we were playing away against a, a tough opponent. Yeah, certainly. It's a, a tricky one for, for both of those players. Just lastly, before we move on to, to Manchester United, I wanted a, a quick mention of, of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain as well. I was slightly surprised that he didn't play against Watford, but actually when he came on against Atletico, I thought he, he looked really, really good. I agree. The issue with Ox is he's done that a few times, and I think on the back of that, he's been presented with an opportunity or more substitute minutes or whatever. And then, put it this way, judging by his past 18 months or so, the next opportunity he gets, he'll be terrible. <laughs> That's kind of how it's gone with him. He'll, he'll, he'll offer a glimmer, show you what he's capable of, show you that he, he does have a high ceiling. I've always thought that. But it, it's just a consistency thing with him. With, with Ox, the next time he plays, he could be really, really bad. And look a bit headless, to be honest, and, and you know, strange decisions on the ball and things like that. But as a player with, with potential and what he could be, I've always looked at him and thought he's, he can be to an extent what he wants, really. Um, but it's just never really came off. And I think he's 28 now, and considering he's 28, Milner's 35, Harvey Elliott's young and injured, Gators Young's is really young. I think Ox should be playing a lot more than he is. So, you know, if I was him, 
I would be concerned. I would I would probably be in a position now where I'm trying to almost perform to to impress potential buyers as well as bad as it sounds. Um, because I'd, I'd be surprised if at any stage now we he became a regular starter for Liverpool. Yeah, I I always fancy him actually in the the Champions League to do quite well. Partly because yeah. of the kind of teams that he's coming up against, but also because you've got the five substitutes. There's a bit more of a chance for for him to actually get on the pitch. Like you say, I mean, as good as he was, can we see him starting against Manchester United? Probably not. Will he come off the bench against United? Well, it's only three subs, so again, probably not. It's sort of a, a difficult one for for him to get minutes for Liverpool at the moment. And I think after all the injuries and inconsistencies, I think. The one thing he does need is to just get on the pitch regularly and try and, and sort of work his way back slowly to form. But that's two big wins then for Liverpool this week. The Reds will hope to make that three against Manchester United and we will preview that game next. We have sort of touched upon it a little bit here and there so far in the podcast. But I wanted to, to begin with the opposition manager, Josh. It, it's probably not the obvious place to, to start as a preview for, for most games. But I think for Manchester United, it does make a fair bit of sense. I'm going to start by saying I think he's done a decent job, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, at United. He's not Klopp, he's not Tuchel, and he's not Guardiola, but he has done a decent job. Is is he the issue? Is is he holding Manchester United and the squad that they've got back, do you think, at the moment? Yes, <laughs> I think he is. Um, but I would echo your thoughts, and I would actually elaborate, saying he's. I think he's done a great job. I think he's done he's done the job he was employed to do, in my opinion. When when he took over, when Manchester United were in a bit of a bad period, the feeling around the club was generally bad. They'd lost away a little bit on the pitch and in the transfer market. And I think generally the squad needed almost cleansing in a way. I think he's done exactly that, and he's he's restored Champions League football. We're now in a position now where we think that. It's very unlikely that United are going to go without Champions League football, even if they had a bad season. And a lot of that stems from the squad that they've built. And alongside that squad, I think he's he's obviously brought he's integrated Greenwood. He has improved Luke Shaw considerably and brought him back to what we thought he was going to be while he was at Southampton. Um. And obviously overseeing the signature of Bruno Fernandes, who I think is very good as well. But his job, in my opinion, is done. I, I think he's done his job. The next the next step for United has to be, okay, now we go and win everything. That, that, that's, that's their next step. And he's not going to do that for them. He's just not that coach. He's, he's not. He, he is exactly what... Lampard was when when Lampard was dismissed and Tuchel was brought in. That that was the difference that Tuchel made. He had a very good squad, but just because of Tuchel's ability, you know, his attention to detail, his tactical awareness, his ability to use his squad and his ability to win, Tuchel just made that last difference that um, Lampard couldn't really. I think if you look at United, United are in that position now. They're literally in that exact position where they are ready to win now immediately. But they don't have the coach to do it. And su- somewhat surprisingly, unlike... Because you, you, you would group them alongside Chelsea over the past 20 years when it comes to 
English dominance and stuff like that. But Chelsea have went down the cold, hard to lose almost of getting rid of an ex of a legend and and appointing the man to win. But United that don't seem to be doing it, and I'm not sure they even will. He obviously signed a new deal in 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 the summer. Um, and although you look at United's squad, and I do think they definitely need a midfielder. I'll be honest, I still think that. The ceiling of that squad is getting limited by the coach, not the players. I, I say all the time, you're only as good as your players. But you will get to a point where, okay, the manager starts to have a bit of an influence. And when, when you're in the league with Klopp, Pep, Tuchel, the, this level of opposition as well in terms of squads, Liverpool squad, Chelsea squad, you just need that extra like 5 or 10% or whatever the coach will get from you and I think, although Solskjaer's done a really good job, I think that next step, if United are going to win a major trophy, will come through a new coach, and I'm just not sure they're going to do it. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a difficult one, isn't it, for them? I mean, he does have a tendency every so often to win a big game or two and save his job for, for another few months. They've got a big, big run of games, starting with Liverpool to come as well, so there's a good chance that that might well happen again. But how do you expect United to, to play this game? I mean... Obviously, the crowds are back. They're going to be backed. It's going to be intense. I think the, the United crowd are going to want them to, to go and attack Liverpool and, and be intense on the pitch and, and try and press them. But I almost wonder if that's almost a bit counterproductive because they're, they're just not a team that is set up and in tune to be able to press Liverpool in the way that their fans maybe might want them to. They're probably better set up to be a counter-attacking side. But I just wonder whether the Old Trafford crowd might not let them do that. No, I don't think they'll... I don't think they'll use any sort of high pressing type thing, but I, I would expect them to play roughly like Let's go into the play. I think they'll sit in a bit of a block type thing. And I think when the ball comes in to that area, they'll be really aggressive, standing on your toes and things like that. Hopefully, to the extent that the ball gets released and he can kind of attack through the likes of, you know, I mean, they have got outstanding individual talent on the attacking side of the game. What I will say is, I really hope that he bottles it, Solskjaer. I hope that he picks the team that looks great on paper, but doesn't work. I, I hope he picks that, but whether he will, I don't know. I think he would be mad to pick anything other than a midfield two of McTominay and Matich, or McTominay and Fred, or, you know, he has to pick at least two of those. Um, if he doesn't, <laughs> I mean, good luck. Because it's just not the kind of opponent when it comes to Liverpool where you can field Ronaldo, Pogba, Bruno, Greenwood, you know, all of these luxury players that they do to an extent need carrying off, off the ball defensively. And, um I think if Pogba plays in the midfield too, it'll be a massive problem for them. But I think because of the makeup of the squad, I must admit when I say when I say earlier, Solskjaer has the, the the issue and stuff like that. I do think, although I agree with that, I, I think that I think um, he's also given himself a massive issue getting Ronaldo in. He really has. I, I I said at the time, it it won't do anything for them in terms of climbing up the table. I'm still pretty confident in saying that he's obviously a very very good individual on the football pitch, but he's um, he's a massive tactical problem for them. 
because he's he he's he's that kind of player where he has to play and he has to play up front. He doesn't press and he's thirty six. Pogba is also in the mould of a player who has to play. Can't play in central midfield because he's too much of an issue, really. So he, he kind of has to play on the left of a front four um, in a 4-2-3-1. So they're already his two positions taken up by Pogba and Ronaldo. Bruno has to play as the 10. There's only one place left for Sancho. That's on the right. Sancho doesn't really... You know, you could argue he needs a bit of carrying as well. So, it's 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 a it is a squad that is very imbalanced. It's it's the balance in that squad is broken, and I I, I would be really really shocked if he doesn't fix the balance to face Liverpool because uh, as it, you know, it could be a bit of a bloodbath if he doesn't. I think one of the biggest issues for me in terms of of Cristiano Ronaldo is the sort of knock on effect that it has on Mason Greenwood because I think he is such a top top young player and it's obviously going to mean that he will get fewer minutes on the pitch it i mean the the, the difference between liverpool and united strategy is, is something we've spoken about plenty of times and is is fairly obvious but it, it kind of strikes me as just such a, a really obvious point and a, a real sort of perfect example of, of the difference obviously Liverpool with Harvey Elliott and we know the injury around him this summer but they've not signed a midfielder because they thought they were going to have Harvey Elliott in that position at United Ronaldo had to come in because they didn't want him going to City but you know for, for Mason Greenwood he must be thinking well maybe there's there's a few less chances for, for him to come in and impress. Yeah and Greenwood is a, is a perfect example of the job Solskjaer has done specifically squad-wise, you know, since he came in, there's been a lot more, I'd say, consideration around the squad, not adding players for the sake of adding players, um, being patient with your number one targets and things like that, just being a lot more sensible and a lot more long-term with your thinking. But after all that work, it, it's kind of, it has kind of been blown out the water just because you've got Ronaldo in. Um, because you've also got Cavani there, who, in my opinion, is in terms of the squad and how you would use the squad, you would use Cavani exactly how you would use Ronaldo. It in most situations, the only difference is Ronaldo has to start, whereas Cavani he could play as a substitute for seventy-five percent of the season. He wouldn't be bothered. Um, so, he, he, in terms of the the way United have, have constructed their squad in the past few years, they, they have generally done things right and they got themselves into a position in the summer where things were looking fairly healthy. And if, rather than getting Ronaldo in, they got in somebody like Ananda Herrera, for example, who'd have just, who'd he lost a few seasons ago on a free. If they got someone like that in, someone like a Wijnaldum, they could be, on, they could be having a great season. You know, I still don't think Solskjaer would take them to league title winning, winning levels, but they would have balance and they would have a, a good balanced eleven. But because Ronaldo came in, it's just a, a big tactical issue that everybody has to work around. And the way Liverpool have got a front, say for example, a front three for uh, from four players who can kind of play anywhere. You know, Salah can play on the right through the middle. Firmino can play through the middle as number ten. Mane can play both flanks or through the middle. Jota can play anyway. So Liverpool have got such variety in attack that you're not you're not fixed to one specific thing. When it comes to United, Ronaldo was fixed up front. Bruno was fixed as the ten. 
Pogba can't play in, mid, in, in centre midfield. <laughs> so it's just a very messy squad. Now, all of a sudden, even though it, it, it wasn't the case beforehand, and as I said, it, it, it all stems really from feeling like you have to get Ronaldo in when he didn't really, you know. Yeah, just to, to finish off on the podcast then, I've kind of gonna I'm gonna throw something at you that you, you don't know is, is coming here, but kind of inspired by Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville's combined Liverpool and Manchester United eleven on Monday night football. We're gonna go through what we think a combined eleven might be for the teams. We won't go through every single position. I'll I'll kind of you know speed things up a, a little bit by saying, well, how many Manchester United players would get into to this Liverpool team? I don't think my team was was the same as either Carragher or Neville's, but it is very much Liverpool dominant. And I don't know. I think there's there's maybe an argument for for two maximum three United positions in that squad. How how would your combined eleven look? Do you think? Right. So I would go Allison. Uh, mm-hmm. We need to stress, by the way, that you have put me on the spot with this one. <laughs> yes, very much. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I would go Allison, Trent. Matup, Van Dijk, Robertson. Um, yeah, I'll stick with Robertson there. Uh, I would go with a midfield two of Fabinho and Henderson or Thiago. I think be, I can't really choose between them, to be honest. Um, I would go Salah on the right. Mane on the left or Rashford. Um Bruno was the ten. Oh, I'm gonna have to choose whether now losing this team, man. <laughs> oh god. I, I'll um, tell you what, up until this point you're exactly the same as me. I've got Bruno as the ten. Rashford or Mane, I think you can argue either way. And I went with Ronaldo, even though Obviously, he doesn't press, and it wouldn't really fit in in real life. I think if it's if it's a straight swap between either Firmino or Ronaldo, I think you've got to go Ronaldo. In, in this Liverpool team now, I think against most opponents, if you support Ronaldo as Liverpool's central lone striker type thing, I think he'd score shed loads. Um, there would be plenty of games though where Klopp wouldn't play him because of what he doesn't do on the defensive side of the game. But I do think generally in most games, like Liverpool have just played Watford, for example, I think Ronaldo would would come in there. And I, I do I do recall comments a while back. I think Klopp was speaking to Wenger, and Wenger mentioned about how everyone buys into the Liverpool press and all that sort of stuff. And Klopp's response was. A general rule that he has is, and he actually said this, he said, um, unless you're Messi or Cristiano, then defend. Simple rules. That was his quote. So I do think that from a tactical perspective, some players are that good that you do, that they are deserving of luxury status. The The higher up the game you go, you have to be ridiculously good. To, to get to that level. Messi is always that. Messi will spend the majority of the game walking, but he's that good, that much of a difference maker, that he's deserving of that. That's fine. We will we will carry him type thing. I will say that when Aldo get into a point now where he's probably being less and less worth that, whether Klopp would carry him now, 
I don't know. Um, a few years back, I think he would have certainly. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, that, that's an interesting question, to be honest. And it did make me think during the recent United game, when he got beat by Leicester, it did make me think how Pep might have used him. Because obviously City were linked with him. Manchester City have a, an established system now at the minute, but Pep's Guardiola very much um, getting rid of a player's bad habits and making sure every player buys in. Now, Ronaldo has plenty of bad habits on the ball. You know, he's inclined to roam and get involved with build-up when he doesn't need to and stuff and shoot from distance and all that stuff. And he doesn't press. So I, I would have loved to see how Pep coached him because I think Pep would have, despite the fact he's Ronaldo and he's 36 and stuff like that, I think Pep would have looked at him and thought, I can improve you loads. Um, but it just didn't happen. But yeah, when it comes to Liverpool 11, <laughs> I don't know. I can't really pick a sense of striker, but it, I think it depends on the opponent. But yeah, and we've got 10, 10 out of 11, the same at least. Yeah, it's a, a very tough one, isn't it? I know Roberto Firmino, I think, for this game against Manchester United is, is probably one of those that you would definitely want in there. Had a very good game at Old Trafford last season, of course. Very last thing then, before we do finish, I'll just get a, a score prediction and, and how you think the game might go on Sunday from you. I think I think Liverpool could, could go there and, and win. Obviously, United do tend to, to sort of increase their performances for these big games. It's it's quite a difficult one to call, I think. It is, yeah, especially considering you, you just don't know who's going to play for United. You know, if Pogba plays in centre midfield, if Maguire plays again, he looked, he looked incredibly unfit against uh, Leicester. Um, so if, if Ronaldo even plays, you know, is Ronaldo a given to play? I'm not really sure. So given Liverpool's firepower this season, I think Liverpool will, will definitely score but looking at Liverpool against Atletico Madrid and looking at Liverpool in certain games this season, I don't think we've looked as defensively safe as usual. So I do think there's the potential that Liverpool go there and dominate. But I'm going to say 1-1. Um, every time we go to Old Trafford, specifically when there's crowd there at least, on the Solskjaer, they do seem to be really up for it. Solskjaer seems to generally know how to play against Liverpool in terms of preventing them a little bit. Um, so I am expecting a tricky game, but as I said, I will be really intrigued to see what eleven he picks. Obviously, I, even now we're recording on the Wednesday. I'm intrigued to see what eleven he picks tonight to face that to face Atalanta. But um, yeah, the the team sheet will uh, will decide a lot for this game for me. Yeah, there could be quite a few clues. I think in that Champions League team, if Ronaldo doesn't play, for example, that probably will mean that he is definitely in the lineup for Sunday. But uh, analysing Anfield, we'll be back next week. Next week, I should say, with both Dave and Josh, and there's plenty more content to come, both pre and post Manchester United, across the Blood Red Channel around that too. Until next time, though, it's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Analysing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red Channel.